When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey, and in the timeless words of the poet Jason Derulo, I am riding solo tonight. Brendan is not able to join us. He had a personal matter come up, so I will be handling this one alone. As always, I apologize to the Brendan contingent of this podcast, the, the loyal Brendan fans and stands alike, you will have to live without ya boy for this episode, but I will do my best. I do not like recording on my own, and I assume you prefer the banter of Brendan and I together, but we adapt and we advance. That is the motto of this podcast and I guess really life at the moment. We are here on Sunday, September 20th. It is about 11.30 p.m. in Chicago. And the Cubs lose a series to the Minnesota Twins. They drop the second and third games of this series. And I can probably sum up this entire series very easily for you. And if you weren't able to watch a lot of it, I can summarize why the Cubs lost two of three games. They played three games at Wrigley Field, and the Cubs scored two runs in those three games. So just doing some pretty loose math, it's pretty difficult to win uh, a couple games or, or all three, definitely, if you only score two runs. Typically scoring less runs than the games played is, is not a great ratio to have, and it was a bad weekend at Wrigley Field for the Cubs offense. So I will break that down a little bit. We'll talk about the starting pitching performances that we got in this series. We'll talk about the bullpen, some of the roster moves that the Cubs have made, and we will get ready for what is somehow the final week of the 2020 season. I can barely believe it. Tonight on Sunday was the regular season finale at Wrigley Field, and it's weird to even talk about that because I I know some people have had the good fortune of ending up on, you know, one of the rooftops or, or hanging around in the Wrigleyville neighborhood when they've been playing and stuff like that. I have not been able to make it onto one of the rooftops. I don't know someone that has tickets or uh, I'm certainly not spending what they were going for at the beginning of this whole process. Uh, I don't know what they're going for now, but it's just weird to have the regular season slate run out and not have been at Wrigley Field. As you guys know, I, I've you know been fortunate enough to have the season tickets and go to a lot of games and to not be able to be there for 
any of it and to have the regular season schedule be done is is weird and I'm sure it's very weird for most of you listening if you've gotten up on the rooftop you know maybe that kind of quenched your thirst a little bit for for Wrigley Field baseball for for the summer uh but yeah I think for a lot of us it's it's weird to to know that there are no more regular season games at Wrigley Field and we didn't get there and we didn't get to you know watch baseball at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field as Pat Hughes would say but that is life in 2020, so we will soldier on. And I will start with a quick breakdown of these couple, uh, these few games against the Twins. Uh, again, as always, just to sort of set the table here, especially when I'm going to be talking to myself for the duration of this podcast, it's easier to sort of just lay some of these things out there, and then you guys can go back and reference as you will. But on Friday, it was the Cubs' lone win in the series, and it was a pretty simple game. Uh, it was one to nothing. The Cubs won behind the arm of Kyle Hendricks, who went eight, and Jeremy Jeffress gets the save. The Cubs scored their run in the bottom of the first inning on a Wilson Contreras RBI single to score Anthony Rizzo, and that was it for the rest of the game. Uh, three hits aside, three for the Twins, three for the Cubs, no errors on either side, and a one to nothing win. And I was sort of describing it to some friends on Friday night that weren't able to watch the game. And it, I, I don't know about you guys watching the game, but it was one of those weird one, one to nothing games where it didn't really feel that close. Like, obviously, when it's one to nothing, the twins are technically always threatening. But it didn't really feel that tense of a game for being one to nothing and, and for the, the Cubs offense also doing nothing in addition to the Twins offense. It didn't really feel that stressful of a game. It kind of just felt like, yeah, Hendricks is rolling along, so we'll just win this one. Kyle Hendricks goes eight innings in this game, three hits, no earned runs, one walk, and 10 strikeouts. His season ERA now sitting at 2.93. He is not going to be in that conversation that is a, a pretty sizable conversation. Some some guys putting together a, a really good season, you Darvish among them, uh, though his his chances take a bit of a hit on Sunday night, unfortunately, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, so Kyle Hendricks isn't going to be in that group because some of these guys have an ERA sitting under two or around two, but Hendricks is having a spectacular season, and especially at Wrigley Field, he is as good as anybody in the game uh, when he is on that mound at the friendly confines. He improves to six and four, uh, you know, not a lot more can be said about Kyle. He was fantastic on Friday night, especially against this Minnesota Twins lineup. And Jeremy Jeffers came on and got the save. He did walk a couple guys a little dicey. The command hasn't been there. So, you know, we've been kind of tracking the Craig Kimball process and uh, that, you know, Jeffers has looked a, a little a little shakier than he did in the beginning of the year. He still got, got the job done, so, uh, you know, that's what he's done all year, and we give him major props for that. His eighth save of the season, an incredible signing that has been for the Cubs. Jeremy Jeffress has stepped up in a big, big way, and there's a, a, a bit of news that I will get to uh, probably right out of the jump when I finish with this regarding Rowan Wick that is that makes Jeremy Jeffress, having been this good, all that much more important, and Craig Kimbrell progressing the way that he has all that much more important. So that was the story on Friday night. Again, one to nothing. Hendricks over Rich Hill. On Saturday, this was a close one for about six innings, and then the Twins broke it open against Alec Mills and the Cubs' bullpen. Mills goes six innings, allows six hits, four earned, one walk, and seven strikeouts. It was a a pretty good outing for Alec Mills. He just got bit by the home run ball. Two home runs allowed in this game uh, to Rosario and Miguel Sano, and that was pretty much the story. Uh, It was otherwise a good outing, but yeah, that home run for Sano in the seventh off of Mills, uh, and then Donaldson would hit one in the ninth, but that was off of Dan Winkler. Uh, but all, all told, a, a pretty good outing for Alec Mills, uh, especially following up a no-hitter. So he's still on a nice little roll there, but with the way the offense is going, allowing four runs over six innings, just not going to do the job, unfortunately. It's just the, the standard that the Cubs starting rotation is going to be held to while the offense is 
performing in such an inconsistent matter, unfortunately. So that is the story there. The Cubs getting their lone run on Saturday on a David Bodie double. That tied things at one in the bottom of the second, but it was all twins from there. They end up racking up eight runs in this one. Again, four of them being charged to Alec Mills. Uh, one of them being charged to Dan Winkler, and then we have a couple that were unearned in this one, charged, not charged to Osich, but he was on the mound when three of them come across the plate. So that was the story. Five hits for the Cubs offense, just not a good weekend at all for them, and it was somehow worse on Sunday night. The Cubs losing four to nothing to the Twins on Sunday night baseball, and you Darvish was pretty good in this game. Uh, he gets bit in the first couple innings, allowing two runs, but he pitched himself out of some major jams in this one uh, to keep it there and really had settled down until the seventh inning, but then Max Kepler got him on a breaking ball that he hit quite well uh, in the seventh, and that put it at four. And even when it was two to nothing, it felt like it was going to be difficult for this Cubs offense where they are at this particular moment to come back in this one. And then when Kepler hit the home run, it really felt like this game was over. Uh, The Cubs do not very much against Javi's brother-in-law, Jose Barrios, who goes six innings, four hits, no earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. The final line on Darvish was six innings, nine hits, four earned, one walk, and nine strikeouts. His season ERA sits at 2.22, but given the ERAs of guys uh, like Corbin Burns on the Brewers, Trevor Bauer on the Reds, and Jacob deGrom on the Mets, I, you know, he's, he's still going to have another start in there, but unless some, you know, all of those guys have uh, kind of a blow-up outing, that may have been the kind of death blow for Darvish uh, winning the Cy Young. It's unfortunate that that is the case because a 2.22 ERA, his K-to-walk ratio, he's got seven wins, even though we don't like to put too much importance on that. Uh, And if you are, I think normally this is something you might look at for MVP voting rather than Cy Young voting. But He's been huge for the Cubs, Uh, so, you know, I don't know if he would get a little more weight for that. Uh, You could probably make that argument to some of the other guys, but a huge reason that the Cubs obviously are in first place with the way that their offense has been, the amount of injuries that they've had to their starting pitching staff is Yu Darvish. So it's a shame that a 2.22 ERA and, you know, him giving up four runs in a start feels like it's a death blow to his Cy Young candidacy. But unfortunately, with the shortened season and, and just so many other guys having such incredible years, it it feels like the, the math may not be on his side after that one on Sunday. But we've still got a week of baseball left, so we'll see where we are after all is said and done. Regardless, Darvish has been fantastic rebounded after some early stuff. And again, just a a good job by Kepler to hit a mistake pitch and uh, put this one out of reach. But the Cubs leave nine men on base. They are 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position on Sunday night. They muster just four hits, those coming from Anthony Rizzo, one, Chris Bryant, one, Wilson Contreras, one, and Jason Kipnis, one. So other than that, it was a big stinker of a weekend for the Cubs offense. And that is one of the major storylines. So again, that that that's it. The final uh, one to nothing on Friday. A Cubs win, eight to one. A Cubs loss on Saturday, and four to nothing. A Cubs loss on Sunday. The Twins taking two of three. The Cubs sit at thirty-one and twenty-two coming out of this series. Of course, they are still in first place in the National League Central Division. And as I speak to you right now, again at 1130-ish in Chicago on Sunday night, they have a three and a half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 26 and 24. They have a four and a half game lead on both Cincinnati and Milwaukee, who are both 500 Cincinnati at 27 and 27, Milwaukee at 26 and 26, and the next team the Cubs face, who will be coming in on a four-game losing streak, the 15 and 38 Pittsburgh Pirates. The Cubs 
also sitting in a tie now with the Atlanta Braves for that second seed. Again, the top three seeds in the National League all going to the division winners. Uh, No one uh, unless there's some sort of insane collapse, and even then I don't even know if it would matter. Uh, no one's going to catch the Dodgers, so they'll be the one. And the Braves and Cubs are tied as the division leaders for that second spot. So that is where things stand. If the season ended today, the Cubs would meet the Phillies in a three-game series to start the playoffs. But of course, we still have a week left that is very tight in all of these races. So We'll see what happens over the course of this next week. Uh, So the first place I want to go is the bullpen, because I think the news there is pretty important, and unfortunately, it is rather bad news, and that news is that Rowan Wick is likely done for the season with an oblique injury, and David Ross saying it was pretty bad and would like, you know, it was certainly possible that he was done for the year. And we've seen stuff with the obliques before, and it does take time to heal these things. Obviously, the severity and how, you know, the rehab process goes, you never know. Uh, But we've seen these injuries before with guys, and it's very likely that his season is over. So that, I think, is how you have to operate at this point. Uh, And that's a blow. I don't think I need to tell you guys that. Uh, Rowan has been the anchor of this bullpen for the last two seasons, uh, and especially with the way in 2019, the Kimbrel thing obviously didn't work out. And to start 2020, it wasn't working out. And you didn't know that Jeffress was going to step up in, in the manner that he did. Wick being as solid and consistent as he has been over these last couple seasons has been an enormous, enormous lift and and change and development for this Cubs bullpen. And for Ross and Tommy Hadovy to not have him out there is bad. It's it's just not good. I mean, there, there's no way for me to sugarcoat that. It, it does it negate all the progress that we've made with this bullpen and the success that some of these other guys have had go, you know, going on the 2020 season and what we talked about in all these episodes where it felt like the Cubs were putting a group together and they had a good list of names and stuff like that. No, I and, and I, I still think that they'll be able to succeed with this bullpen. They add Andrew Chafin, so we'll see what he's able to bring. Uh, but anytime you lose one of your top arms in the bullpen, it's not good. And especially when it's a group like this that is not necessarily super well established in every one of these positions. And you're, you're, you know, again, like kind of just sort of piecing it together day by day and, and hoping you're making that progress. This is a blow. Uh, there's there's no way to for me to sugarcoat that. Now, Jose Quintana has been working back to get in this bullpen. Uh, obviously, just with the, the way that he's had these injuries and the length of time remaining in the season and the playoffs, he's going to be in the bullpen. I, I, I think that's, that's uh, pretty definitive at this point. And him being able to come back, I think you're you're going to have to hope that he's able to have his stuff play up and he's able to bring you that consistency that he has over the years in a bullpen role. And especially with the lack of off days in these playoffs and just how volatile the playoffs and, and matchups and things like that can be, that could be a real weapon for the Cubs, a, a, a lefty reliever that can give you multiple innings and you know hopefully is able to, again, have that fastball and that curveball combination play up a little bit coming out of the bullpen is hopefully something that maybe doesn't replace Rowan Wick. I, I I don't know that I'm counting on Q to be a high leverage reliever like Rowan Wick was, uh, but if he can provide another option for David Ross to pitch to lefties, get out of jams, and again, you know, maybe piggyback on some starts or give you multiple innings when you just need to burn some innings, hopefully that's what Q can provide, and that would be a welcome addition. So yeah, bad news on that front. Um, I, it's it's just not what you want to hear. It was kind of out of nowhere, really. Uh, I didn't even know that we were worried about that. And then that news kind of came over the wire that, yeah, he's out and maybe out for the year. So that stinks, guys. But Again, that's that's kind of why we've been dialing into the bullpen since day one. Uh, they have been really, really good over uh, the last several weeks, and you hope that a lot of these guys 
can step up now and continue stepping up. You know, guys uh, like Ryan Tapera, who had a good outing on Sunday night, uh, a clean inning with two strikeouts. Jason Adam, a clean inning on Sunday night with one strikeout. Uh, Chafin made his Cubs debut on Sunday night. He gave up one hit and a walk, uh, but didn't surrender any runs. So we'll see what he's able to bring. And you just got to hope that the, the the progress the the progress that Craig Kimbrell has made is going to be tested. That was pretty clear even before Rowan Wick got hurt, and it is a definite thing that's going to happen uh, now that Rowan is probably done for the season. So. Buckle your seatbelts as far as the bullpen is concerned, but again, you know, it's this is just the nature of the beast, and you have to kind of accept it and do your best to move on from it. Uh, next, I would like to touch on the Kyle Schwarber situation on Sunday night. I don't want to make a big thing of this because I don't think it is a big thing, um, but basically, uh, and we have not gotten, and I, we, we won't get, Kyle Schwarber basically confirmed this in his postgame quotes that I'll read, uh, but David Ross said, I want to keep it in-house. But basically what happened was Kyle Schwarber was removed in the middle of Sunday night's game. He's not hurt. The broadcast crew asked David Ross point blank if he was hurt, uh, and David Ross just said, he's fine. Uh, so offering no explanation as to why he was taken out of the game. But if you were watching the game, at least to me, it was extremely obvious why he was taken out of the game. Uh, Jake Cave hit a triple in this game down the left field line. It took a weird bounce off of the left field wall, you know, over Schwarber's head. So Schwarber was positioned to field it off the wall, and it caromed more aggressively than he had anticipated. Um, But if I'm being blunt with all of you, and I think you would like me to be, he dogged it after the ball. He lazily, you know, walked or jogged after it, and a triple down the left field line at Wrigley is hard. And you have a pitcher on the mound who's trying to win a Cy Young. It ended up being an earned run that that came across. And I don't think he would have ended up at third base had Schwarber hustled after the ball. And the replay, you look at it, he dogged it. I, I It was very strange to me. On the broadcast, Alex Rodriguez and Matt Baskergen were perplexed as to why Kyle Schwarber was out of the game. They could not fathom why he was taken out of the game. Even really when they were watching the replay of this play, they were like, well, I guess this is it. But, you know, it was just so obvious to me that that was what it was because he dogged it, frankly. Like, that's what I honestly believe. And that's what Schwarber said after the game, reading these quotes from Jordan Bastian of Cubs and MLB.com. But Schwarber said, he owned up to the play in the second inning. Uh, he didn't, you know, him and David Ross did not allude to the conversation that they had. But Kyle Schwarber said Cave should not have reached third on that play. He said he put you Darvish in a tough spot, and it wasn't acceptable. And that that's it. And I and I think that's fine. I I I am totally on David Ross's side here for this decision. Pulling a guy in the middle of a game and benching a guy does not have to be some sort of massive like national news like this guy should be embarrassed and you know walk, do a walk of shame through the city of Chicago it's just about accountability and this is something that we talked about a lot especially in 2019 with Joe Madden and being disappointed in the way that Joe Madden was handling some of these things. When the Cubs were leading baseball in outs on the bases, when they were routinely making errors, when we talked about someone like Addison Russell missing signs and throwing to the wrong base and all that stuff, there were so many times where the next day those guys would be back in the lineup. And even in the middle of those games, they were allowed to take their at-bats and get back out in the field and stuff like that. And this isn't to create a an environment where guys are afraid to make mistakes or they're walking on eggshells or things like that. So I, this isn't, you know, pulling guys and benching guys every time there's a mistake made is not what anybody's advocating for. And to be honest with you, when I saw this play, I thought it was a lazy play by Schwarber. I thought he dogged it to the ball. Did I think that this would be the hill that David Ross would say, okay, finally, I'm going to bench a guy in the middle of the game for lack of effort? Not really. It, it, you know, it just seemed like Schwarber should have hustled more. Uh, But again, I, I support Ross doing it. There's not that many games left. You haven't clinched the division. You haven't clinched a playoff spot. And 
you got to be better than that. I mean, that's that's really what it is, especially when the offense is struggling as mightily as it is. And like I said, you have a guy out there on the mound who's trying to win a Cy Young. Every single play is of the utmost importance. And Schwarber did not give 100% effort there. And again, it, it doesn't need to turn into an embarrassment for Kyle Schwarber or this loss is on Kyle Schwarber or Kyle Schwarber cost you Darvish. Like, no, it's not that big a deal. It's, it doesn't need to be that deep. But I do think that every now and again, you know, and it depends on the player, it depends on the scenario, of course. But every now and again, the manager has to hold these guys accountable and not hold their hand on some of these things. And and there there's a time for saying, hey, you know, you got to be better than that, shake it off and get back out there and do better. And there's other times where I think, you know, David Ross and, and every manager needs to say, hey, that wasn't good enough. We're going to put somebody else out there. You know, you, you I know you're better than that. You know you're better than that. It's it's not the end of the world, but for tonight, we're going to shut it down. And I, I, I think that's that's really all it is. And, and listening to Schwarber's quotes after the game, it sounds like he understands that. Again, as I, I read from Jordan Bastian, like he said, it was on me. It was unacceptable. I own it. And we can move on. It, it, it's not that big a deal. But I, I do think that David Ross showing that level of holding guys accountable is important. You know, And, and like I said, you don't want to create a scenario where guys are walking on eggshells. But I think you have to set up a system where guys understand we're in the middle of a playoff race. There's a week of baseball left. If I'm not giving it 100% on these plays and and being as tight and as well executed as I possibly can on all these plays, I I think the manager's well within his right to say, hey, we're going to put somebody else out there tonight. Get your head right for the night, and we'll see you back out there tomorrow, right? Like, it, it doesn't need to be a big deal, but I'm, I'm with David Ross on this. It did cost him an extra base. There's no way in my mind that if Schwarber hustles after that ball, he almost threw him out at third. So if he hustles after the ball on the bounce, he would have thrown him out. It looked pretty simply, like after the bounce, Kyle assumed it was a double and figured he would turn around, pick the ball up, throw it in, and Cave kept running, and it bit him. Again, not that big a deal, but I'm with Ross on this one. I, 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 I think holding these guys accountable is what you need. And again, it's something that we were pretty specifically, and I think a lot of the fan base was specifically asking for from Joe Madden in 2019. And I think one of the reasons why the Cubs decided to move on is that it felt like the team wasn't being held accountable, and they kind of acted like they weren't being held accountable. There was so many sloppy mistakes on the bases and on defense that at a certain point, you know, you're not like hoping that he benches the whole team, but it was just like, you know, clearly these guys are not playing with the mindset that if they're not giving a hundred percent, it's going to get them taken out of the game. And especially in situations like this against a good team, like the twins, when you haven't locked up anything as it relates to the playoffs, you got to be tighter than that. that. That's, that's literally what it is. It needs to be more precise. It needs to be better than that, than than what Schwarber gave tonight, and and I'll be clear, is Schwarber the only one that makes mistakes like this? Like, was this the first mistake that ever was made like this by this team in 2020? Of course not, right? Like, we've seen plenty of base running problems and stuff. So, uh, you know, you can certainly debate like, was this? Like I said, I I didn't necessarily think this was the spot that Ross was going to pick to pull someone like this, but I'm fine that he did it. I I, I think it's fine. So uh, Schwarber came back out. He noted after the game it was important not to sulk about it. He took a minute to sort of think about it, came back out, and they cut to him a lot. He was there cheering on his teammates. So I think it's it's a one-and-done situation. Uh, but I think it's a good thing, especially when we came into the season and the hiring with so many people, I think wrongfully, obviously, worrying that David Ross wouldn't be able to manage his friends and guys that he had played with. You know, I I think it's late in this season, uh, but I I think it's good at some point for David Ross to be like, look, like, I know you guys are better than this, and I'm going to hold you to that. So that's my stance on this one. I, I don't know if all of you agree, but I think we can all agree that they dealt with it. Everybody seems on the same page about it. We turn the page to Monday and to this Pittsburgh series, and it definitely doesn't need to be a bigger thing than that. Anyway, moving on to the offense, which I think is the bulk of what we're all thinking about. 
And unfortunately, as I've said before, and Brendan and I have talked about a lot, it's a similar conversation to that that we've had before. And I'm not, you know, I don't have the answer for you uh, here tonight that I didn't have a week ago or two weeks ago. The offense is a mess. And we've got a week to get it in a different place. I wouldn't blame you if your confidence isn't there that that's going to happen. Um, The first place that I want to start is something that's pretty confusing to me, and that is where Chris Bryant is hitting. So on this podcast and in the history of this podcast, or if you follow Brendan or I on Twitter, you know that if we believe that Chris Bryant is healthy— we don't doubt his abilities. We know he has the potential to be a top hitter in this league. He's proven that for multiple years. He's not healthy. We also know that, right? I don't think at this moment we know the exact severity of what he's playing through, but he hurt his wrist on that diving play. He got an injection. He hurt it so bad. Uh, when he was in South Bend and then was down there for a little bit trying to rehab it, and he came back. They they don't really talk about the state of things, right, anymore as it relates to that, but I think you're being a bit naive if you think that he's not playing through something, and you can certainly, and I would listen to you, you can certainly debate the merit of him or the team, right, whoever's ultimate decision this is, to downplay the injury or, you know, kind of act like he's not playing through something. But it's pretty obvious that his wrist is not right. Uh, The power is not there. His swing path, his mechanics just look off at times, right? He's missing on pitches that he should be killing, and it just doesn't look right. And It's frustrating to me that they keep doing this, and we've talked about this so many times. I I mean, I can't even fathom how many times you guys have listened to Brendan and I complain about the Cubs playing somebody when they are clearly playing through an injury that is affecting their performance, but the Cubs just ride it anyway. The most notorious example that we always bring up is the Ben Zobrist one, uh, where his numbers plummeted after he, uh, I believe that was also a wrist injury. Like the day that happened, the numbers plummeted to just abysmal levels, right? And this was Ben Zobrist, who was one of the most consistent players year to year in baseball. And all of a sudden, like the day after he hurt his wrist, all of a sudden these numbers are terrible. And remember, he went on the radio and told people that when he swung from a particular side of the plate, he still kind of felt in pain. But they were still putting him in the lineup every day and acting like it was just something that was going to get worked through. And it does not make sense to me. So I don't know the severity of what Bryant is dealing with, but it just seems so obvious. And we don't have to get into this whole conversation because we've said this before. Like, I do think it's fair. I do think it's fair if you want to point out that these injuries have happened to KB. They do affect his performance. And he has not been the hitter that he was in those first few years of his career because of those injuries and because of the way that those have affected his performance. As I always say, If you're going to come at me that he's soft or anything like that, I don't want to hear it. And I I don't agree with you. And I, for the life of me, don't understand why the people who talk like that seem to kind of hate the players. Like Chris Bryant has accomplished a lot for this team, right? So the the idea that people just like to rag on these players, just like trash them, right? You, You calling someone soft is an attack on him as a person, right? And for someone that has done so much for this organization and been an upstanding citizen while he's been doing it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I can't stop you from doing it, but don't bring it to me. That's all I'm telling you. But we can have an honest conversation about that he is clearly not the the same hitter that he once was and can be when he's dealing with these injuries. And it seems that some of these injuries perhaps affect him more than other guys. Is that 
accurate why that is I, I don't I don't know but you can look at the numbers right like it's obvious that they affect him so the main point that I'm getting to here is exactly the same conversation we had with Javi now with Javi we don't think he's injured or dealing with anything he's just not having a good season um and coming out of Sunday night he's barely OPSing better than Chris Bryant is I think his WRC plus is lower though so you know it sort of depends oh no uh Yes, it is a little lower. So, you know, it depends. They're both having bad seasons. You can take your pick which one uh, you want to decide is having the worst season. They're pretty close, though. So we don't know why that is, but we do know, again, similarly, it doesn't look right. He doesn't look like the player we've seen for the last few years and certainly not the player that his ceiling is, right? And it's the same conversation with Bryant. Now, with Bryant, we believe it's due to those injuries. I mean, typically when a guy gets an injection in the middle of a season, like a few weeks later, I think it's still safe to say that it's probably the wrist injury. Um, but regardless of of what the underlying reason is, you know, with Javi, we talked about them taking the in-game video away, which disrupts his routine, the lack of fans, which he obviously feeds off of, everything. Whatever the reason is, Either way, you're looking at two guys who just don't look like themselves, and the overall numbers reflect that. Neither of them are producing on the level that they need to. So what I'm asking you, loyal listeners of the Cubs-related podcast, and very loyal if you're at the 30-minute mark of me doing this by myself, so cheers and thank you for that. But if they moved Javi down, he hit 7th on Sunday night. Why on earth is Chris Bryant still hitting in the top three of this lineup. I don't get it at all. And he had been hitting two up until Sunday night when he moved down to three. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I know that we've tried to reason this out. And one of the things that Brendan and I, and I think a lot of other people kind of landed on was David Ross is putting out the lineup as he envisions it needing to be for this team to ultimately be as successful as it can be, right? And I, in general, in a vacuum, I agree with that logic, right? This team at its best has Brizzo, Baez in the top four of this lineup. That's what I believe. That's what we've seen for years with this team. When they are at their best, this offense, those guys are near the top of the overall production on offense, and they're near the top of this lineup. But like with everything else in 2020 and in this particular season, you have to adapt. And it took Ross a while with Javi, and eventually he gets moved down. But it's taking them the same amount of time with Bryant, and I think that one's maybe weirder and harder to explain because we do seem to know that there's probably some underlying cause we can point to right? So it just seems weird to me that the logic seems to be hoping that over the course of this very short window, KB's power is all of a sudden just going to come back like magic, and he's going to be crushing these meatballs in the zone that right now he's fouling off or popping up on the infield or driving to just in front of the warning track because the power is not there. And there was a good thread on this from Brett Taylor at Bleacher Nation. There there were a lot of good thoughts on this because I think this is a tough conversation for a lot of people to have. Um, because like with anything else, I do want to reiterate, we're talking about 2020 and what the best thing the Cubs can be doing for this season. I, I think that it's it shouldn't be necessary for me to reiterate like the caveat that we don't have to take everything that happens in this season and extrapolate it to like guys' whole careers. We don't even have to extrapolate it into what we think about 2021, right? Because at the end of the day, at max, it's going to be a 60-game sample for these guys. So I don't think you're going to put more weight on a 60-game sample than, say, what these guys just did in 2019, right? 
you're going to have to decide how to weigh that. But we've heard from a lot of executives, a lot of players, like some of this stuff is just weird. There was a good example on the Sunday night baseball game. Like they were talking about Baez's struggles. JD Martinez has been one of the best hitters in this league for years. He's got a sub 200 batting average in this season. So you can all of a sudden believe, right, that, and again, there's different causes. Sometimes it's an underlying injury. Sometimes it's just a bad 60-game stretch. Sometimes it's the routine change. Who knows what it is for everybody, right? But if you want to believe that, like, a lot of these guys just are bad now, you know, that J.D. Martinez, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Christian Yelich, all guys who are underperforming where, you know, they, they normally would, if you're of the belief that this 60-game season has proven that those guys are not good, you can believe whatever you want, but I don't think that's right. So I just want to reiterate that, that when I'm saying this and I'm talking, you know, like you guys, if you guys have listened to this podcast for years, if you didn't have any context, you would think it's nuts to hear me complaining that Chris Bryant is hitting in the top three of the order, right? So I just want to offer that caveat again, that it's like, this is a very unique situation. And when we're talking about this stuff, it's not to express a lack of belief in who Javi Baez is or who Chris Bryant is or who any of these guys are as hitters for the rest of their career or next year or anything like that. It's literally just about saying this is a 60-game season and it is almost over. It is very nearly over and you're just out of time to be thinking that different things are going to happen. So that's sort of like the overall like theme of this conversation. But I want to read these thoughts from Brett Taylor over at Bleacher Nation, um, because I think that they're, you know, they're they're kind of a good summary of what I'm thinking here, and and uh, you know he he expresses it perhaps better than I can, or I just think it's uh, a good way of expressing it. And he says, "quote uh, a reminder that as sad as it is, and maybe as much as you might like to believe it isn't legit, Chris Bryant has been one of the worst hitters in all of baseball this year against righties." In a related point, I've asked the question before, do you want to help guys feel better or do you want to win games? Right now, Chris Bryant, especially in that spot, especially against righties, in that spot meaning near the top of the order, is not helping you win games. And he says this, let me be quite clear, with the playoffs around the corner, we are rapidly approaching the point where I don't think the question is whether Bryant should move down in the order. The question is whether he should start at all against right-handers. And he continues, I hate that I even have to entertain such things. I'll tell myself, just as I'd tell Chris Bryant, that this year is so weird and short and whatever that you can just throw it all out the window in the offseason and reset. But right now is right now, and there's no time left. And I think that that last line is the main point that I want to drive home. Right now is right now, and there is no time left. I think that's very well said by Brett. And that's that's where this issue comes from. You have a guy in Bryant who doesn't look right at the plate. He, his power looks zapped, right? And we've seen guys with injuries, especially to their wrists before. This is not some like mysterious thing. It happens. And he's got a 197 batting average, a 588 OPS, and a 63 WRC+. Reminder that 100 is league average. If we're looking at Baez, he's got a 205 batting average, a 606 OPS, and a 58 WRC+. So it's all just to say you've moved Baez down to the seven spot. And both of them are playing really good defense. Chris Bryant has been playing really good defense in in this season. And Chris Bryant's going to take some walks. So I I think especially against lefties, I I, I don't think you have to remove him from the lineup. Um, But the idea that something is just going to change in these last, uh, what are the Cubs, 31 and 22. So the last seven games is crazy to me. It's just crazy. And I think the attitude that you have to have right now is Ian Happ is hitting. He's hit through these 53 games. Okay, we can keep him at the top. Jason Hayward is hitting. He's hit through these 53 games. We can keep him at the top. 
And then you go from there. Now, the options from there aren't great because a lot of this lineup is struggling. Even Anthony Rizzo is now at a 718 OPS, and per WRC+, plus, he is a below-league average hitter at a 93 WRC+. Plus. Uh, Wilson Contreras is at 108, and Kyle Schwarber is at 89. So again, it's not like too many of these guys are ripping the cover off the ball. Um, but I think as you go forward here, you have to consider giving Hap, Hayward, Contreras, and then I guess Rizzo the the majority of these at bats. And depending on the handedness, you can also look at giving Jason Kipnis more at bats because he's hit better than some of these other guys in the situational matchups that he's been in. So again, the lineup has been bad. Uh, in a lot of ways, right? Kyle Schwarber now a sub-700 OPS and a 190 batting average. Um, you know, Victor Caratini has not been good at the plate in this season, uh, despite, you know, sort of hoping he was going to be able to step up in, in an offensive role after the season he had in 2019. So I understand, like, if we're talking about moving Bryant down, it's not exactly like the options are ripping the cover off the ball. But with seven games left and heading into the playoffs, you have i think you have to prioritize the guys who are actually producing even if they're not producing at the levels that you want because i think in general anthony rizzo looks fine the production isn't where you want it to be but with kb and javi especially through particular stretches like they just don't look good at all and the numbers are bearing that out right if you look at someone like schwarber and rizzo schwarber's had a very up and down season it's been all over the place uh, you know kind of like it it normally is for him so it's been disappointing that it has not been more like that 2019 second half but you know, you look at both of those guys and, you know, you give them a, a couple of balls hit really well in the shift or something like that. And, you know, maybe the numbers look a little better, et cetera. Right. But like with Bryant, he just looks bad. Javi in a lot of these games just looks bad. Right. And so with seven games left, hoping that things are just magically going to change doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it's just not a strategy that I agree with. And like I said, I, I kind of tried to understand the notion of like, okay, we've afforded ourselves the ability to, you know, be a likely team to make the playoffs and a likely team to win the division, barring a real awful week this week, especially when you're playing the Pirates. Um, and, you know, you want to see if you can get things right. But I mean, I think at some point you have to give up on that logic and just say, hey, these are the guys that have performed. The season is over, and we need to just go with that. Like to me, if you had a playoff game tomorrow and you started Chris Bryant and hit him second or third in this lineup, that's nuts. That's just nuts. You you're you're just hoping for something that just isn't there right now. And and again, like it's sixty games. We we can go into the off season. We can see how he feels. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at what Javi's done in the past and stuff. And you don't have to like go into the off season thinking, oh, these guys suck now, but it's about winning tomorrow's game. And it's about winning games this season. And they like KB in the three spot just isn't doing it. It hasn't done it all year and it's just not going to do it. So it's like Brett said in those quotes that I read, like, I hate having this conversation. We were talking about Javi in this regard. I said 50 times that I hated talking about Javi Baez like this. I hate talking about Chris Bryant like this. I mean, how many times have you listened to Brendan and I rail on people for doubting Chris Bryant or saying he's overrated and things like that? And so I hate having this conversation, right? And again, whatever factor it is, injuries, the quarantine, the lack of fans, the, you know, just the situation going on in the world, whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter. You have to look at what you're dealing with right now because we don't have another hundred games for this stuff to get sorted out. We have seven, right? So that's, in my opinion, that's just what you got to do. You, you just, you have to reward the guys that have been getting the job done. And like on Sunday night, like Hayward with a 914 OPS, a 290 batting average, and a 145 WRC plus per WOBA weighted on base average and WRC plus, Jason Hayward is the best hitter on this team, right? 
he's hitting sixth, <laughs> right? Like, again, if there's a hundred games left and you believe that KB's wrist is going to sort itself out and you've got Javi in the seventh spot and you're just waiting for him to get hot to move him back up in the order, great, fine. You have seven games left, not a hundred. So I just, I think you got to look at making that change um, in this lineup. That's just where I am with it. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that's just kind of how I see these things. And, and again, for the millionth time, like it doesn't have to be how you approach the future. It doesn't have to be an indictment on any of these guys' careers, their past, their future, or anything. It's literally just about this moment right now and knowing that a little over a week from now, you're probably going to be playing in a three-game series that you have to win to continue on in the playoffs. And you have to just go with what's working right now because you're running out of time and the idea that some of this stuff is going to drastically change just doesn't seem like a smart strategy to me. So that is what I have on the offense. You know, as far as the rest of it, again, like we've said this a million times that you had hoped the top-level talent was going to carry this team and was going to be what kept this offense moving and we've seen the signs of it right just and 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 it feels like other years where it's it's just those feast or famine games and this was a very much famine series for the Cubs uh, against the Twins in this particular weekend and again just looking at WRC plus with 100 being league average weighted runs created plus the Cubs have four hitters that are performing at an above league average level, and only three of them are everyday starters. That would be Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, and Wilson Contreras. Jason Kipnis also at a 117, uh, obviously, in the matchups that he's going in. So it just is not where you want to see these guys. Rizzo at a 93, Nico Horner at a 63, Schwarber 89, Javi Baez 58, Chris Bryant 63. Um, yeah, it, it's not what you want. I mean, there there's no way to, similar to you know what I said about the Wick injury, I can't sugarcoat this. The, the offense has been abysmal in, in uh, a lot of ways. But that that's sort of why I think the the lineup structuring normally as we've said a lot like how you structure the order is is sometimes a negligible difference right but when you've got some guys that are just like clearly like in the cellar here right and other guys that aren't I, I think you just don't have a choice you have to ride the guys that are working and we know that these guys can snap out of it we know that Anthony Rizzo and Schwarber and Contreras and and these guys can carry you and they can get super hot and they can perform at huge levels on offense. It just hasn't happened through these 53 games. And I I don't know, guys. I, I, I really don't. Um, you know, we'll get into what this offense looks like and, and what the future should hold for them just as a group, you know, once the offseason comes around and it's time to look into that stuff. But for the moment, again, it's it's about getting the best out of what you can right now. And unfortunately, it's going to put a lot of pressure on this pitching staff. And and that's just how it is. And, and the starters, for the most part, have really stepped up. And this wasn't as good of a series as we had seen, uh, you know, looking at some of those mo- more recent series and really just a lot of the, the season. But you got eight shutout innings with 10 strikeouts from Hendricks on Friday. You got six innings of four-run ball with seven strikeouts from Mills on Saturday. And you got six innings with four runs and nine strikeouts from Darvish. Now, four runs each in those last couple games from those guys is not what you want to see. But this is, you know, probably the, the Saturday and Sunday. I mean, this is one of the weaker performances overall that we've seen from this rotation in in a good bit. And that's like you should still be competitive in those games when your starters only they they go six innings they strike out a bunch of guys and they only give up four runs right it's not where you want and it's not the standard that this rotation has set really for the majority of this season but for both of these games on Saturday and Sunday to feel like it was 50 to nothing because of the way this offense is that's a lot of pressure on these guys it's a lot of pressure on this rotation to be almost perfect so it's just not what you want um and again, like, 
you know, we've looked at how this bullpen has been over the last several weeks, and, you know, they've been better, one of the better units in baseball collectively um, in, in terms of limiting runs and, and the job that they've done is you know, certainly far better than they were in the beginning of the year. So it, it feels like, especially with the developments that, that the bullpen has made and, you know, hopefully getting Q back and you can see what, you know, how they can overcome the loss of Rowan Wick as it has felt for many weeks. And as it has felt, you know, really for years, uh, things are going to hinge on whether this offense gets hot at the right time. And I understand if you're not particularly confident in that after watching them this weekend and a lot of the way that the 2020 season has looked. So I I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's really where it's going to hinge. If you want some level of confidence, right, it's that we just know some of these guys are better than this. I think, you know, again, like I've, I've offered a lot of thoughts on Bryant. I I don't think that his wrist is magically going to get better in seven days. Um, but you know, someone like Rizzo, like is better than a 17, a 718 OPS, right? So I think that over this last week and especially in the playoffs, like it's reasonable to hope that he gets hot and performs like he has for several years as one of the better hitters in baseball, right? We know that Schwarber can get hot. We know Contreras, who's been pretty, you know, pretty good, uh, you know, acceptable, I guess, uh, on the whole in the 2020 season. We know he can be better than that, and he can get hot, and he can have a monster of a weekend. We know that for Javi, too, and, you know, for a good handful of these guys. So it's it's not as though the Cubs are struggling on offense in a sense where it's completely unrealistic to think that they can be better at all right? Because they can. It's it's there. It's just, it's a short season, and you just sort of have to hope that that catches fire uh, at the right time. So that's unfortunately just where that is. So that's that's my thoughts on that. It's I, I, I know it's not the most inspiring conversation, but um, I just did not, you guys know this, I did not expect how poor some of the offensive performance has been from that, from this team. And I, again, I think that that can either be a source of pessimism for you, uh, just because it hasn't happened through these 53 games and maybe you don't expect it to happen over these last seven or in the playoffs, or it can be a source of optimism because again, like Rizzo just isn't a 700 OPS guy, right? And so you just hope that even if it's only at the right time, some of these guys are just going to get hot and get the job done. But there's a lot of pressure on this pitching staff right now to be uh, as close to perfect as they can. Because as I said, like uh, a four-run deficit or more than that feels really heavy at this point, and you really wish that it didn't. So that's uh, pretty much what I have for you guys. Uh, I'm going to look at the probables for this upcoming series in Pittsburgh, and we got two series left, folks. So this is it. On Monday, it will be John Lester, who is a left-hander, as you guys know, and Brubaker for the Pirates. J.T. Brubaker, who is a righty. He is 1-2 and with a 4.79 ERA on the season. That'll be at 6.05 Central Time on Monday, September 21st. The Cubs have a TBD for Tuesday. It'll be Brault, a lefty for the Pirates at 6.05 Central. He is 1-3 with a 4.04 ERA on the season. On Wednesday, it'll be Kyle Hendricks, who is a righty, as you guys know, against Williams for the Pirates. Trevor Williams, who is a right-hander, he has a 6.70 ERA on the season and is 1-8. and eight. Again, that those first three games all at 6.05 Central Time. And on Thursday, September 24th, it is a 12.35 Central Time start. So we get a, a day game in there, which is nice every now and again. And it is Alec Mills, who is a righty, as you guys know, against Chad Cool for the Pirates, who is a right-hander, 1-3 with a 5.03 ERA. So you've got four games against the Pirates, who have won 15 games all season. They are on a four-game losing streak. They have 
Uh, they are 16 games back in the division. They are 1-9 in their last 10, and they are almost single-handedly responsible for keeping the Reds and the Cardinals afloat in this division race and, and maybe really even in this playoff race with the way that they have played. So it's pretty simple. Um, you have the White Sox uh, next weekend as the last series of the year, and you had better do your work so that those games don't matter. I don't know the position that the White Sox are going to be in. They've already locked up a playoff spot, but they're still trying to lock up their division. And obviously, seeding is important, uh, especially if a team like the New York Yankees is not going to win their division. The the seeding is going to be important to the White Sox. Uh, But it, all I'm saying is with that series with the White Sox, I don't know where the White Sox are going to be, if they're going to be setting up their rotation, if they're going to be focused on something other than the Cubs. But either way, you should really try to avoid that series mattering because the White Sox have been one of the best teams in the league so far this year. So it's all just to say the Pirates have been terrible. They've been absolutely terrible. They're playing terrible. And if you can't get it done against them, you're going to deserve whatever happens, right? Um, the, the Cubs are in a really good spot, obviously, to make the playoffs. They're in a good spot to win the division. They're three and a half games up uh, with only seven to play. So, and again, I, I'm not, you know, the Cardinals have only played um, 50 games. So I, you know, I don't know how many they're going to end up playing or what their whole deal is because I just don't care about them, I guess. Um but either way, the Cubs have seven games left. They have a three-and-a-half game lead, and you're playing quite literally one of the worst teams in the league who's just playing at a god-awful level. If you can't win the division with a three-and-a-half game lead and seven games left with four of them being against the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're not going to deserve it. That's that's the plain and simple truth. So that is what I'm looking for in this series. The Cubs need to take care of business, plain and simple. We've gone through this in multiple of the last two seasons where the Cubs had a job to do in September and they didn't do it um, to varying degrees, right? 2019 is just a complete failure and a collapse. The 2018 team wins 95 games, but the Brewers are uh, a game better, but they lose game 163 and then the wild card. So either way, both of those seasons just end in a complete mess. So they got to buck that trend. They have to show up. The, The slate is laid out for them to do that. And they need to take care of business. It's that simple. You're going in and you have the opportunity to take care of business against a terrible baseball team. And if you can't do it, they're going to deserve whatever their fate is. Um, So that's how I feel. And I think that's how all of us should feel. Um, This is put up or shut up time for this team. And yeah, if they can't do it against the Pirates, I, I don't know what to say. So in terms of anything beyond that, it's all on the offense. Guys, I, I really think that. I think that you, Darvish, Kyle Hendricks uh, have proven that they are your top level pitchers, that you can count on them to deliver a potentially game winning performance in a playoff game. You feel confident that those two guys can match up with anybody that you're going to face in these playoffs. I think John Lester has looked really good in these last uh, couple starts, some, you know, some nice bounce back outings for him. And I will trust someone other than playoff John Lester over my dead body, as I always say. And Alec Mills has shown you everything that he can, right? And so I think that even though, you know, uh, especially Lester and, and Mills, obviously, you know, they've had their bumps in the road for sure. But that rotation through the, you know, these 53 games in this shortened season, they've given you their all and they've shown you that they can get the job done and that they can be a rotation that can keep you in games and that can be the starting rotation on a winning team, right? This bullpen has made major strides in terms of their effectiveness, in terms of giving you some guys you can trust in high leverage innings, and overall just giving you confidence. I don't think any of us feel the same way, or at least you shouldn't, than we did in those first few weeks. I think in those first few weeks, if the starters pitch count was at, you know, 80 and four innings or something like that, you know, we were all thinking, okay, you know, we're going to have to trust the bullpen for three or four innings here. So hopefully the offense scores a hundred runs, right? And I think we're in a different place than that. I think now we all feel, you know, fairly confident in this bullpen, or at the very least, we're not looking at the bullpen to blow the game, right? The wick loss is a blow and it's something they're going to have to overcome. Hopefully Q can provide a little bit of relief in that regard. 
but overall, you know, especially the role that Jeremy Jeffress has played, the role that someone like Tapera and Jason Adam and uh, the strides that Craig Kimbrell has made coming back from a terrible start to this season. I, the bullpen, I think, is in a good place and I think is is trustworthy and it is something that we can feel confident in that they can get us through, you know, these playoffs. It's all on the offense. That's that's honestly how I feel. Um, it is all going to hinge on whether this offense can show up and whether some of these guys can get hot or get to, uh, you know, more, I mean, even some of them just a league average level, let alone their career norms or their ceilings, right? And that's that's what it's going to hinge on um, because I think, you know, this weekend is a particularly strong example of what your biggest fear is uh, for this team going into the playoffs. Again, four runs over six innings from your starter on Saturday and Sunday is not what you want, but it but my point is is that it shouldn't feel like a death blow and it felt like a death blow and they end up giving up more on Saturday obviously uh but when you feel like two three four runs is too much from the pitching staff it's just not a good place to be so that's that's what I'm looking for you have to take care of business against the Pittsburgh Pirates and we have to get this offense in a better place than they have been um how confident am I in that, that that's going to happen over the last seven games and in the playoffs when it hasn't happened in the first 53? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really don't know. Um, but the potential's there, as it always has been, you know? So, uh, it, it you know, just, just ask me how I feel on a given day because it, it sort of just changes every day. But that's where we're at, and I think that's that's the, the the crux of the matter. So we've got seven games to get this team in the place where we want it to be by the time the playoffs roll around, and uh, we will be here to break it down for you every step of the way. So we will talk to you again on Thursday evening after the Cubs and Pirates wrap up a four-game series, and then on that episode, we will get you ready for the last series of the regular season against the Chicago White Sox at guaranteed rate. I think it's park, but it might be field. I don't know. Don't quote me on this. Um, Anyway, that's what I've got. As always, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast, participating with Brendan and I on social media, and for bearing with us. You know, something came up in Brendan's real life that he had to attend to, and it's, you know, I'm not looking for any sympathy here, but it's not exactly easy talking to myself for over an hour, over an hour, Brendan's going to kill me that I went this long, uh, especially after a series loss and only talking to myself. But anyway, I, I we do appreciate you guys, uh, you know, sort of bearing with us when we're not able to be as well-oiled of a machine as, as we'd like to be. I think we're obviously very consistent in our schedule. We don't miss episodes, but it's it's not our choice to have one of us doing this by ourselves. But we appreciate you guys being understanding and a loyal audience in that regard. So let's take care of business in Pittsburgh, folks. We're all on the same page. One week left. Time to put on your Cubs blues and give, as you Darvish tweets uh, and, and, you know, the Google Translate of his Japanese tweets, tell us he always thanks us for the power. So there's a week left. There's seven games left. Send all of your power to this team and maybe in particular the offense uh, because this is it. We can't be there in person, but this is this is the last stretch to, to support the boys in the regular season and uh, hopefully get them into the playoffs and with that National League Central championship crown. So again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for indulging me by myself here. And uh, thank you for supporting the Cubs Related Podcast. And as always, we end by saying, Go Cubs! Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.